Welcome to the No-Till Farmer Influencers and Innovators Podcast. I'm Brian O'Connor, Lead Content Editor for No-Till Farmer. Verdesian sponsors this podcast about the past, present, and future of no-till farming. In today's episode, Editor Frank Lesseter talks to Dean Fell, an early adopter of strip tilling at his farm in LaPorte City, Iowa. Here's Frank and Dean. So, Dean, you're at LaPorte City, Iowa, correct? That is correct. And where is that in Iowa? Those familiar with Iowa at all were approximately 20 miles southeast of of Waterloo. Okay. And uh, what kind of soils have you got in that area? What are you farming? Yeah, we have primarily silty clay loams, um, uh, CSRs in the 85 to 95 range primarily. Okay. Did you grow up in this area? Yes, I did. I've been here my entire life. Okay. So was your dad a farmer? Yes, he was. All right. And now you're farming with the boys, two boys? Uh, Well, I am currently retired. I've turned the operation over uh, about five years ago to the Mm -hmm. boys. So I'm uh, kind of a a sideline farmer, so to speak. Okay. And their names are what? Ben and Brandt. Okay. And how many acres are there, the three of you farming today? And, you know, I cannot honestly answer that, Frank. I I know they've had some expansion um, several years back, and to what those acres are, I've never added them up. Okay, but you're a big acreage farmer, I take it, all right? I mean, you're over 2,000 acres? Yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know they're right. over 2,000. And uh, mainly corn and soybeans or other crops? Uh, corn and soybeans. All right. So you're strip tilling corn. Are you? What are you doing with soybeans? Uh, we're we're no tilling the soybeans directly okay. into the corn stalks. Okay. So I assume you got started with no tilling. How long ago did you start no tilling? Well, I started experimenting in the mid 1980s. You know, I had a few stumbling blocks, and then in 1986, I believe it was, I purchased my first no till drill for soybeans, and then. Uh, it was along about that time uh, Jim Kinsella from Illinois started uh, the strip-till program, and uh, I got involved in that, and in a nutshell, that's where we started, and we're still on that program today. Were you no-tilling uh, corn before that or not? I had done some experimentation, uh, was not liking the results, but uh, mm-hmm. as soon as I started the strip-till program, it just exploded, and, and I never looked back. Right. So what were some of the benefits of strip-tilling corn that you saw in those days? Well, I felt as though we, we had a, a drier, warmer seedbed come planting time. I felt as though that was really beneficial, you know, to getting the corn up, up and running on it for a good start. Have the boys looked at all at strip-tilling soybeans? I, I really don't think so. Uh, there are narrow rows. For the soybeans, and mm-hmm. so as a result, that really doesn't fit, fit the scenario of strip right. So, what the row width do they have for beans? Uh, they are currently 15 inch rows. Okay. So uh, let's talk about a little of the equipment that you have. What uh, what's your no-till planter? Well, you got more than one planter, I think. Are you using the same planter for both no-till and soybeans? Actually, 
yes and no. Um, <laughs> currently, current, currently, we have, uh, or the boys have 124 rows they use primarily for uh, planting corn, mm-hmm. and the other one's set up to plant the soybeans in the 15-inch rows. Uh, a few years ago, they did plant a few 30-inch rows uh, soybeans, uh, but Primarily, when they start planting, one starts planting corn, the other one starts in beans, and they, uh, I know this last year or two, they've not deviated from the 30-inch corn and the 15-inch row. That was my next question. What row width were you in corn, but you answered it for 30-inch? Correct. How did you make the decision to move away from the drill to a planter on uh, soybeans? The very first drill I had um, was kind of inadequate. I had nothing but plugging problems with that first drill. Mm-hmm. Could not wait to get rid of it. And then I went to a 15-inch row Kinsey planter, and uh, I liked the better seed depth control than what sure. a, a drill had to offer. So what kind of planters are they running? Uh... Currently, they're, uh, they have two John Deere planters. And then um, does the family own a lot of this land? You rent land? I assume you do. You got both, right? Some, some of both, yes. So uh, you say you're kind of retired, but I, you also told me in an earlier phone call that they can't get along without you at planting time <laughs> or at harvest time, right? <laughs> well, I, I'm not sure I said it quite that way. <laughs> right. uh, I like I like to think that I'm needed. Uh, I do run the, the sprayer in the spring. And run one of the combines during harvest, so that's kind of my fit into the operation as we speak. So it's interesting that one of the boys runs the soybean planter and the other runs the corn planter. How did you decide that they should be both planted at the same time? I mean, a lot of people plant corn first and then soybeans, but now we've got people saying we should plant soybeans first and then corn. But the boys must have realized there's benefit to getting them both in early. Yeah, that that's correct, Frank. I I think they're finding some advantages to you know get in the field when conditions are fit and uh, in rock and roll. I think that's bottom line. Get her in the ground when you can. Right. So uh, the sprayer that you run in the spring, uh, self-propelled unit or what? Oh yeah, it's it's a large John Deere with a 120 foot boom and all the bells and whistles, the uh, exact apply system. Uh, which is an awesome system. Um, the efficiency is just out of this world. Uh, so that, uh, you know, that's what the boys are using for a sprayer currently. So even an older guy like you or I could run it, huh? Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, uh, it's it's almost, uh, you know, you push a couple buttons that they already have programmed for me and uh, send me to a field and away we go. You know, yeah. the auto steer kicks in and, does its job and everybody's happy. Right. Let's talk about um, uh, no-till soybeans. What got any idea what rate they like to plant at, or is it vary or what? Yeah, I, they they do some uh, variability in their planting population, and I think that's a little bit variety sensitive. So I I really cannot sure. address exactly what their population average would even be because I honestly do not know. Right. Fertilizing, they fertilize soybeans? Uh, yes, they do. What do they put on? You know, dry P&K. And, uh, you know, I 
I think there's odd times maybe when they use some micronutrients, maybe as needed. Uh, but there again, I do not know the details. Sure. Have they tried any of the new biologicals? They seem to be hot these days among growers. Uh, to my knowledge, no. But okay. that could be bad information, Frank. Well, people are trying them, but then they got other people who are going to say, wait and see, it's too early. I remember years back when we referred to them as snake oil products. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So um, weed control in um, soybeans, uh, will they hit the field before they plant or wait or what? Some of both. Uh, generally, there's burn down on, ahead of both corn and soybeans, and that varies a little bit based on, you know, maybe a field that has a particular issue with a particular weed pressure, but uh, there's some pre and post yeah. on, uh, on every acre. Will they come back in mid-season and make an application or not? If necessary, if they will. Only if they have to, right. Got it. Applying insecticides? Uh, yes. They've, they've been, uh, you know, managing their, their insects uh, in a timely manner. I pulled up on our website a couple older articles we had done with you, and that one time you were very, very high on fungicides. Is that still true? That is correct. Do they try to apply fungicides on every acre? Or? To my knowledge, yes. On both corn and soybeans? I believe that's correct. Okay. Let's go to the fall. You, I assume you got two combines? Correct. And you run one. Are you a soybean or a corn guy? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, generally, generally in uh, one of the soybean combines, all of the time, and... We've had a few issues with uh, down corn due to, uh, you know, some wind damage. Sure. And so sometimes I'm in the corn combine 100% and sometimes I'm not. But like last year, for example, I probably ran 95% of the corn with, you know, one machine. We had standing corn, uh, fortunately, this past, you know, a year ago. Yeah. And uh, by and large, I was in the machine every day. Were you in the area that get, got hit by the decro in Iowa or not? Uh, yes, we were. We were kind of on the edge, but yet it affected us in a very negative manner where we harvested, uh, you know, using two combines. Numerous fields were harvested in one direction, and uh, it was ugly, but uh, we were much better off than so many of those poor farmers that disked up their crop because there was no harvesting to it. Right. What do you think the yield loss was for you people on those problem fields? You know that, that that's that's a moving target, Frank. You you never really can define, or I've never been able to really define. Yeah. Uh, you know the the difference. You know if we had completed a proper growing season. Uh, yes, there's definitely a loss. Sure. Um, they, you know the plants are injured. They're not they're not performing up to their potential. And just the harvest losses in in and of itself, you know, you do your best, but sometimes that's not quite good enough. Right. Uh, looking at harvest, you've you've planted uh, corn and soybeans at the at the same time. Will soybeans ripen earlier than corn for you people, or both at the same time for harvest? Uh, generally, generally we we get the soybeans harvested first. But on the flip side, we do switch back and forth, you know, depending on the weather. Yeah. Um, you know, in some years we may harvest 
a fair amount of corn before the beans are ready. So every year is mm-hmm. a little bit different for us. Right. Um, what variety, what uh, um, growing season varieties would you have, or varieties would you have on soybeans? How many days or whatever? You know, they're they're primarily mid group two, I believe. Okay. Uh, maybe a few acres of early group threes. That would be their primary acres would go those maturities. How about uh, days on uh, corn hybrids? Um, I think they kind of surround themselves with 100 and 110 to 150 day corn. Yeah, okay. Years ago, we did an article on you, which you said you've got to plant slow. Do you still believe in that? They boys still believe in that? Uh, <laughs> yes and no. They they have one of the new high-speed planters for corn. And this past season, this growing season, uh, was the first year for that. And I was quite impressed with uh, what I saw, you know, uh, but we'll no more come harvest. Right. When you're taking these soybeans off earlier, I assume that's ground where you're going to strip till the next year. Are they, are they building berms in the fall? Yes, they are. They they try to get all their all their strips done in the fall. Okay. Uh, so when you got two people on the combine, do you have somebody else building strips or not? Uh, not till right at the end of season. They've um, you know, and it depends on what the calendar says when we're trying sure. to complete harvest. I think it was a couple of years ago. Yeah, they actually started stripping before the corn combine was was completed. Going into this season, they now have two strip till units, which will facilitate, of course, getting that job done a little quicker. So I honestly don't know what their their plan is for this year. I can only imagine it's going to be weather dependent. Right. So what strip till units are they running, and how many rows on each? Currently. I believe they're going to be running one 16-row and one 12-row. They build them themselves, or they bought the units, or what? Uh, no, they, they they bought the units. What brand are they? They're actually the Kraus units. Okay, the Kuhn Kraus ones? Yes. Yeah, okay. Correct. All right. How tall they try to build berms in the fall? You know, that I think that's a little bit relevant to... Uh, the soil texture come fall. Sometimes, you know, you don't change depths. If you go from one field to another, you might get a two-inch berm or you might get a four-inch berm. Yeah. Um, you know, so uh, that Mother Nature has a tendency to control that a little bit, near as I can tell. Right. Um, so are they putting down P and K in the fall? Uh, sometimes, yes. And there again, I think that's based on, on soil tests. Uh, right whether they do or whether they don't. When they come back in the spring to plant on, on strip-till corn, will they put on all the fertilizer with the planter or they make some other trips in the spring? Uh, no, they have no fertilizer attachments on the planter. Okay. So when will they apply fertilizer in the spring and how? Well, generally that's all done in the fall or okay. on frozen ground in the wintertime. Okay. Um, you know, in, in general. That's... So you would, you would, uh, if you're putting it on in the winter, you would be broadcasting that. Correct. How about nitrogen that they need for corn? Well, that'll all go on with the strips. In in the fall? Yes, with anhydrous oh. ammonia. They got this corn stripped in the spring, and so they're not coming back in mid-season with any fertilizer? Uh, to my knowledge, no. 
Right. So, but you would, you're probably going to make a spray trip with, uh, for weed control and disease and insects or not? Yes. Okay. We'll come back to Frank and Dean in a moment. First, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Verdesian, for supporting today's podcast. Verdesian Life Sciences believes healthy water and soil for the next generation is just as important as supplying efficient nutrients for today's crop. For Verdesian, sustainability and profitability go together. Learn more at vlsci.com or talk to your ag retailer today. Before we get back to the conversation, here's Frank Lesseter's answer to a reader question. Recently got a question from a reader asking what would be the value of wheat straw if he took it off and sold it and baled it. And the answer came from Ohio State. They did this uh, not too long ago and actually used 2022 fertilizer prices. And they said a, a ton of wheat straw would provide approximately 11 pounds of nitrogen, 3 pounds of phosphorus, and 20 pounds of potassium. And according to the June 2022 fertilizer prices and the new to removal book values, one ton of wheat straw would, would take out nutrients worth about $30.31 per ton. And now back to Frank and Dean. One of the questions I like to ask is, uh, you know, if you've got somebody that's got 3,000 acres and they got a sprayer, maybe they're putting eight or 9,000 acres of uh, on their sprayer per year. So I assume on the average, you would be making more than one trip across your acres, maybe two. Yeah, yeah generally two plus. Okay, that's um, what I was you know. leading to. Yeah. Have they looked at cover crops at all? Oh, yes. They do, they do some cover crop. I would guess on, oh, I don't even know what percentage, maybe 20% of their land. This would probably go on ground that's been in corn harvested? Sometimes corn, sometimes soybeans, some years both. Yeah. How do they decide where they're going to use in cover crops? Um, they have one landowner that's adamant that he wants cover crop. So there's, there's a good no reason. <laughs> yep. There's, there's, you know, there's just no question on those particular acres. Yeah. Um, and in some of their other fields, I think probably maybe some fields to roll a little bit more, uh, just maybe trying to help the erosion potential. Although we've been a no-till for so long that our erosion is just about zero. How do they apply the cover crops? Uh, generally aerial okay. application. What would be uh, using just one cover crop or using a mix or what? Uh, they've, they've used multiple mixes and uh, I cannot honestly tell you what all are in those particular blends. I do not know. Well, it's like some guys today are using as many as 15 blends. So, Oh, my. <laughs> and then you'll get some guy that's got 10 bushel of oats sitting around. He just tosses it in there to get rid of them. But, uh, <laughs> there you so go. A lot, of, a lot of people have not been happy with uh, seeding cover crops with aerial. The, the boys must figure they're making it work. I see varying results with aerial application, mm -hmm. um, but it is a way of getting it done relatively timely without crop damage. And so as a result, I think that is part of the reason they do it that way. But there again, uh, some of those decisions, I'm not privy to the information. You know. 
I don't ask. I don't. I don't know. Then I can't get in trouble. Right. Right. The rental contracts you have uh, cash rent or sharing or what? Uh, that's all over the board. I think okay. they have multiple multiple right. uh, choice with different landowners. Are are you finding that it's easier for them to rent land because there are no tilling and strip tilling or not? I would have to say I don't know, but I don't think it's hurting them. Right. Back when you were more active, was it a major selling point for you getting land? Yes, it was. Yeah. What? Uh, yeah, the, last, the last number of years I farmed, I had owners coming to me saying they liked my system. Uh-huh. And so we were able to do business based on that. Right. Well, that's great. Most landowners uh, local or live metropolitan areas or all over the place? Um, generally local. Years ago, I, I think it was Ben. We did an article with Ben, and he was talking about tiling. And he was talking about how you were able to convince land, uh, landowners that you rent from to tile. Can you elaborate on that? Well, I was able to show them some yield maps that, uh, you know, could prove that yield reductions were significant, you know, where there was not adequate drainage. Yeah. And uh, and as a result, uh, you know, I mean, it was pretty black and white. So I had I had good participation with, with some landowners. I, I take it you were encouraging them to spend some money and, and tile their ground, right? That is correct. Were you uh, investing any money on tile on rented ground if you had a long-term contract or not? Uh, did very little of that, but there was, you know, there was payback to me sure. over time. Right. You know, so um, there were, I had numerous scenarios that, yes, I worked with the landowners. Yes, I spent some of my own money, but yes, I got, got it back. So Yeah. This, um, do the boys have a lot of long-term contracts for rented land or just one year? Because it gets pretty tough for someone to uh, invest in tile on rented ground if they got a short contract. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I honestly do not know the lengths of their contracts other than my own scenario and the land that I rent to them. And most most families are long-term. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Right, right. Well, that's good. What have I missed talking to you about? I'm not real sure, Frank. I think we've covered a lot of the high spots. Um, the, the getting started, the, uh, you know, obviously there's a learning curve in, in no-till. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't go back to full tillage for anything. Yeah. Um, it is It has proved to be a huge asset uh, to our farming operation. It just all the labor savings, uh, fuel, machinery, soil, all the above. It just is a great system. You you mentioned that there's no fertilizer going on in the planters. Can you elaborate on why that's been a good move for you people? Yeah, it did. You know, it's a time consuming process. It, it, you know, I think it's a good process to put mm-hmm. uh, uh, fertilizer on with the planter, but uh, I've always been a believer when it's time to plant corn, that's what you should be doing. Yeah. Because there are there are alternatives for fertilizer application. And for me, using fertilizer at the time of planting was 
not a good reason for the planter to shut down because he had fertilizer problems. Yeah. Well, that's for you, just my personal preference. Right. Well, everybody's got a different idea. Um, for years, there was always talk about whether it was whether we had to put starter fertilizer on with no-till corn or not. So, um, you people have found it not necessarily to do. Yeah, yeah, that's that that's in our in our scenario that it works fine to not. And we've been happy with yields, and uh, so as a result, they're kind of stay in the course. Well, for years we've had people with uh, that. You know, years ago, a lot of a lot of farmers had livestock, and we got a lot of people through the corn belt today that don't have any livestock. And we've got we got people who have a rotation of uh, soybeans and corn in Florida in the winter. Now I look at you're retired, and you've kind of got corn and soybeans in Canada in the summer, right? That is correct. Yeah, <laughs> tell us, cool. tell us, tell me about your Canadian experience. <laughs> well, um, I was very fortunate in that uh, back in 1954 was the first time my parents took me to Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my dad was a, a fisherman. He enjoyed the area. And as I grew up, we continued to travel uh, into Ontario, uh, into Lake Country. Um, I got married. My wife enjoyed it. Our kids grew up on a on a lake where we currently have a, a private cabin, um, and it's just it's just an awesome place to go and vacation, do a little fishing, relaxing, etc. Uh, can't get enough of it. Yeah. So I think you told me you you'll go up for maybe three weeks or so in the summer, come home for a while, and go back a couple times. That is correct, Frank. And you told me that uh, you're in Western Ontario, like International Falls, Minnesota is kind of in the area. That is correct. We're just northwest of International Falls, about oh, about an hour drive. Yeah. It's big. When you got in earlier, what were the biggest challenges you had with no-till? Uh, cold, wet soils were okay. probably my my first concern, primarily planting corn into soybean ground that would have been just you know my prior experience to strip till the no-till soybeans is to me is easier than no-till corn but then you throw in the strip till scenario and then that kind of levels the playing field a little bit as far as soil conditions at planting time well that that always was uh Early on was a one amazement to me that it, it looked like it would be easier to no-till corn into soybean stubble because there's not as much there as stalks. But a lot of people said that's just not the way it worked out. And in my in my scenario, it it didn't work out very well. I I uh, always kind of wanted to be out planting corn just absolutely as soon as I could, yeah. and uh, so. That that was the case with me. That uh, it just wasn't. That just strictly no tilling into bean stubble was not working for me. When uh, would the boys and you like to get started planting in the spring? Uh, in our area, uh, you know, I'd say if you could take a five-year average, they're started by the fifteenth of April. Mm-hmm. I think this year, I believe the. First, they started was April. Yeah, yeah, on just you know very limited acreage. I think that was this year. 
how long a planting window do you think you have, or what, how long does it take to get all the crops in the ground? Uh, if the sun shines, they'll be done within a week. Well, oh, that's you know, great. Wow. Start, 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 finish if they can. You know, if weather cooperates. I think I asked this earlier, but I can't remember for sure. You you had a, a twenty four row pl- corn planter. That's that's correct. And then the, the soybean planter is same configuration, same width, only fifteen inch rows. They're okay. both sixty foot planters. Gotcha. What kind of horsepower does it take to pull that in your ground? Hmm. I think well, they use two different tractors. One's I don't know. 350 and the other one's 300 or something. I honestly yeah. don't know. I've kind of lost track of the, the makes and models of the tractors and what their horsepowers are, right. etc. All we know is they cost a fortune. Uh, <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> they're they're kind of expensive these days, but yeah. uh, they were we thought they were expensive a long time ago, and right. they've only gotten worse. So. Well, if you you, you got to have it if you're going to plant on time and get it done in a week or ten days. So. Yeah, yeah, that's just exactly right. And of course, our yields have gone up, and fortunately, the last couple of years, the price of the corn and soybeans have gone up to help to offset it. So right. it's all cycle. Right. One of the things that interests me on strip till is uh, years ago in the early '90s, we had a newsletter for a few years on ridge till, and we we finally got out of it because we didn't see that practice growing. But what's interesting is when you look at strip till, the number of things that they picked up from ridge till because they're they're building berms, they're deep placing P and K, they're doing controlled traffic. <laughs> And yes. uh, the one thing they're not doing is cultivating, which was important with ridge till. But we had Correct. people, we had people who are bona fide strip tillers today who look down their nose at ridge till. But a lot of the things that worked in ridge till, they're now doing with strip till. <laughs> yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah, I agree, hundred percent. Yeah, we had a few ridge tillers in the area for a few years, and it. It didn't take long for them to change their minds and start either no-tilling their beans or strip-tilling their corn. Yeah, one of the big and problems. No one likes to cultivate. Exactly, and one of the big problems was if they had livestock when they were cultivating, they should have been baling hay. <laughs> <laughs> That's true too. Right. Okay, Frank. You take, take care, care now. Okay. Yep, bye now. Before we wrap up today's episode, here's Frank Lesseter one more time. Back in uh, 2013, we did a story on Dean Fail, how they were making tile pay on even rented land besides what they own. They had purchased a tile plow, mainly for improving drainage on rented land. So they've done a lot of this with uh, absentee owners and got better uh, tile in the ground, better drainage, and got better yields. So this is also from Ohio State, and they uh, did a study way back in 2011 that uh, showed that only about 9% of fields that they looked at did not have workable tile, and this resulted in land rental charges that were $12 to $28 per acre, below the average for all corn fields in this survey. And they determined that each additional bushel of potential corn yield was associated with an extra 37 to 52 cents per acre in expected rent. Now today with the higher land prices and higher commodity prices, it's probably much higher than that. 
That's it for this episode of the No-Till Farmer Influencers and Innovators podcast. Thanks again to Verdesian for helping make the series possible. You can find more podcasts about no-till topics and strategies at no-tillfarmer.com slash podcasts. A transcript of this episode will be available there shortly. If you have any feedback on today's episode, please feel free to email me at b-o-c-o-n-n-o-r at lessitermedia.com or call me at 262-777-2413. Frank would also love to answer your questions about no-tell and the people and innovations that have impacted today's practices. Please email any questions to us at listenermail at no-tillfarmer.com. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to this podcast to get an alert as soon as future episodes are released. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts. For Frank and our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm Brian O'Connor. Thanks for listening and farm ugly.